Welcome back to another episode of The Piano Pod. I am your host, Yukimi Song. So today, I invited a team from a nonprofit organization called A Seat at the Piano. They are Annie Zhang, Brendan Jacklin, Evan Hines, and Susan Yang. ASAP, short for A Seat at the Piano, was founded in the summer of 2020 in the midst of social and racial reckoning around the world. ASAP is run by these dedicated, classically trained pianists with varying backgrounds and experiences who strive to raise the voices of those who are less heard and to inspire more thoughtful, inclusive programming within the performing and pedagogical spheres. Let me quickly highlight each guest by citing their bio. Let's start with Annie Jang. She is the founder of ASAP, a renowned pianist and educator. Annie has performed globally from the Kennedy Center to festivals in Italy and Spain. Passionate about contemporary music, she has researched its pedagogical capabilities, even creating a resource introducing unconventional techniques. With a DMA from the University of Michigan, she is now an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Then, Brendan Jacklin, he is the co-founder of ASAP, Canadian-American pianist Brendan Jacklin, based in Nashville, is a fervent advocate for contemporary music, premiering over 50 works and championing interdisciplinary performances. A sought-after speaker, he's graced stages from MTNA to NCKP conferences. As assistant professor at piano at Fisk University, he brings a rich educational background with a DMA from the University of Cincinnati and mentorship from renowned musicians. Then let's move on to Evan Hines, also the co-founder of ASAP, pianist and educator. Evan, an Oberlin and University of Michigan alumnus, has flourished as a pianist and collaborator. He's been part of the Ann Arbor-based trio Continuum, toured Mexico, and performed at Kent Blossom Festival alongside renowned artists like Joella Jones. Having served at Oberlin in various roles, he is now pursuing a DMA at the University of Texas at Austin. Then finally, Susan Yang. She is also the co-founder of ASAP. She is a distinguished performer and pedagogue. Managed by the National Federation of Music Clubs, she's won numerous awards and recently performed with orchestras like the Nashville Symphony. Her debut album, Doorways, Half Remembered Music, showcases her talent a passionate educator, she is presented at various conferences and champions community outreach. Currently, she is a piano faculty member at Vanderbilt's Blair School of Music, with degrees from top institutions and mentorship from renowned pianists. So, dear TPP fans and listeners, I can't wait to interview these brilliant pianists and educators and learn what a seat at the piano is all about. Stay with me till the end as our conversation will lead to more reflective discussion on how we as trained classical musicians should keep classical music alive and thriving in our fast-paced world and more. So here we go, dear friends. Please enjoy the show. You are listening to The Piano Pod, where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they are bringing the piano into the 21st century. 
Welcome, Annie, Brendan, Evan, and Susan to the Piano Pod. This is my first time ever interviewing more than two guests in an episode, so I'm super excited and a little nervous. Just kidding. So, <laughs> so this is going to be fun. I got an email from one of you guys、uh, back in April or May of this year that you have been following the Piano Pod's Instagram and listening to the episodes, and which I am really, really grateful for. And then I get to know your organization. Then, then since then, I have been checking out the extensive database of unknown composers and compositions, many of which I have yet to learn and discover. So. Later, I will let you guys introduce yourselves to our audience. But for now, let's start with this: What is a seat at the piano? Is it an organization, program, database, and who is this for? So, a seat at the piano is essentially a platform to raise the voices of a lot of composers who have been less heard or historically excluded or underrepresented.、Um, and so, it is a database. It is a resource. It's a blog. It's kind of a lot of different things that we've combined into one kind of a one-stop shop for a lot of pianists, teachers, students to go to if they're seeking different kinds of repertoire that are outside of the normal kind of canon. So that's kind of it in in a gist. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about it and how it all started as well. What is the mission of a seat at the table? May I call the organization ASAP, which is a really cool four letters. I actually love that you you slipped a little bit right there because you said a seat at the table.、Um, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's that's partially why we called our organization a seat at the table,、um, a seat at the piano. And maybe Susan, if you want to maybe talk about our name because. You were the genius, or part of the genius behind、uh, coming up with the name of a seat at the piano. It's been a long time, but I just remember we were all brainstorming, just like dumping names that we could think of into a document.、Um, I remember some of it was like a seat at the bench, a seat at the piano.、Um, what were the other ones, or something like? Database for promoting piano inclusion, and we wanted something that was, you know, this this is serious stuff, but we also want to make it fun and engaging. And when speaking of, you know, having more more voices, more conversations at the table, which is、like、a more common kind of phrase that we use of a seat at the table, and we think about a bench, a bench which is so limited sometimes in front of a piano. But if we have more, if, what if we had a longer bench, you know, <laughs> that could fit a lot more of these voices and a lot more of these identities and personalities. Yeah,、wow. and、um, I noticed. Actually, I think Brendan and I did at the same time. We were just going over the names, and we were trying to come up with a more fun name instead of just calling this a database or a website or something. So, and then we were like, "Oh, a seat at the piano, abbreviated to ASAP," and people should do be doing this kind of work ASAP. So that was like. A, a kind of fun coincidence. So then we we settled on the name right away because that just seemed to be, yeah, the the most appropriate out of all the ones that we came up with. Yeah, and it's really catchy, right? And then sorry, I was saying the wrong name, but a seat at the piano, right? Yeah, you're so- actually not the first one. Yeah, we've I've had a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say a seat at the table, <laughs> on accident. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I really like the background of where the actual name came from, and I like the shorter version ASAP, which is really catchy. So, what is the mission of ASAP?、Um, the mission of ASAP is to promote and include、um, the music of composers that hasn't necessarily been、um, in the forefront, you know. And I was actually thinking 
earlier today that there are so many of these pieces from the big names that we know, Beethoven, Mozart, whatever. And what something that has been really exciting about the work that we've done is that you are starting to see sort of um, some very specific pieces become a part of the canon nowadays. And I started thinking, oh, oh my God, like, of course they're playing this piece again. But also you have to remember that one is better than none. The whole point is that like, yeah, this, like, we might be seeing the same pieces over and over again. However, it's already hundreds and hundreds of years too late. So like, even if there's one more, I know that the work that we're doing is working and very important. And yeah, so basically we're trying to catch up um, with the inclusion of works of, of piano music from composers from historically excluded groups. Why did you want to start this organization? And was there anything obviously missing, right? It was like the uh, the composers, unknown composers, unknown compositions, which amazing works of unknown composers, which were missing from our program, from our even teaching repertoire and so forth. But was there anything else that was missing that you motivated to start this program, this organization? During the summer of 2020, which was obviously during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and we're all in isolation, a lot of time to reflect. Of course, our whole nation was dealing with solitude and also racial reckoning, social reckoning, a lot of the um, disparities that are within our society. And I think there was a big call to action. It's unfortunate that the circumstances had to create this call to action, but that there is this urgency that we had to do something. And so whether or not that was going out to the streets and protesting and saying your voice or, you know, showing the ways that you're supporting other communities in other different ways, I feel like as musicians, even within our silo, within our bubble and our sphere, we can still do a lot of influence. And so this started actually just, you know, in my bed, on my laptop, just kind of doing my own personal research when I was doing my self-reflection and like kind of mad at myself that I could only maybe name like off of the five fingers of my hands, the number of composers that I played that were not by standard typical white male Western European composers. So I started just kind of coming up with a list. And this was really just kind of for me to kind of think about, okay, when I am assigning repertoire, maybe in the fall semester, like maybe I'll pull from this list. And what what was kind of fun about this project is that it's very easy to kind of go into this like spiral and this like black hole of a lot of like amazing pieces that you just never heard of. And so I just started cataloging it, putting it in this Google spreadsheet and including things like, you know, obviously the composer, the names of the pieces, the duration, difficulty in leveling as much as I could, a recording, a score, shared it on social media because that's that was our main form of communicating with a lot of folks within that time of the pandemic. And there, I just kind of put it out there as a feeler of like, okay, what do people think about this? I'm working on this thing. What do you all think? And the, it seemed like a lot of people were actually in need of it. Um, we have a lot of great resources as it is already, Institute for Composer Diversity, but that tended to gear more towards like larger orchestral band works. Um, we have Cassia, which is a vocal database, music for Black composers, which is specifically Black composers. And we really wanted to be a little bit more broad with the scope of the diversity in terms of composers that we were reflecting. 
funny enough, uh, Susan and Brendan, who I, I know very, very well from going to grad school with, um, and Evan as well, actually. But Susan and, and, and Brendan came to visit me during the pandemic very safely. And, <laughs> and I told them that this was like a thing that I was working on. And what better than to ask your friends for help? And so, you know, I realized very quickly, this is not something I could do on my own that I wanted to even do on my own. That's where it all started. Um, and this all started remotely. You know, I saw that there was this need within the piano community. People were asking on forums, like, where can I find pieces by uh, Latin composers, Black composers, um, First Nation composers? And there wasn't really a resource for it. And so now, given that we really wanted to see this change and a lasting change, a sustainable change, we were able to say, well, you don't have an excuse anymore. You know, like, here's everything. And we just keep on expanding that. So wonderful, beautiful. I want you guys to introduce yourselves uh, for our audience one by one. Let's start with Annie. You're the founder, right? So, um, so my name is Annie, uh, and I am the founder, and I'm also the executive director of our board. Great. And you are joining from where? Oh, I'm joining from Greensboro, North Carolina. Hi, my name is Susan Yang, and I'm joining from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a co-founder of A Seat at the Piano, and I think my new title is Director of Special Projects and Community Engagement. Hi, um, I'm Brendan. I'm also coming to you from Nashville. I'm also one of the co-founders, and I'm Director of Operations, which is a lot of the tech stuff. And I am Evan Hines. I am coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm, I guess, a co-founder as well and coordinator of database operations. What made you guys decide to do it together? What was the inspiration? So, Brendan. I come at it from a pretty different background than a lot of people. I grew up in Canada. And so there is an organization, the Royal Conservatory of Music, that I grew up playing their syllabus from. And they actually have always included a lot of Composers, usually Canadian composers, and Canada is a pretty new place. So we've always had female composers and people of color and everything in that syllabus. And then both my parents are musicians. So I was actually working with composers when I was a kid, including my high school teacher, Sarah Kineskny. And so I actually didn't realize till I moved to the U.S. that that gap was there. And so for me, part of wanting to do a seat at the piano was to sort of give people the experiences that I was lucky enough to have that I never really realized how different it was because I was playing composers since I was, you know, probably six years old um, that we find in our database, which is different. And then I also do a lot of contemporary music. And so just a big draw for me on a personal level is also, I just love finding all the cool new stuff that's out there. Just every time I find a new composer, I just sort of dive into their music a little bit when I'm working on the website and so that's, you know, also just fun for me. Can we a little bit elaborate a little bit about the difference? So I know I, I myself from originally from Japan and I'm, I'm Korean, but, you know, I was I was brought up there. So obviously there's a culture shock and cultural differences, especially in as an educator. And even like within the United States, I used to live in Florida and then coming to New York City was a big you know, huge cultural shock in many ways. And it, not just in terms of like a culture, culture itself, but uh, I think every neighborhood I go to has its own 
cultural difference, especially a place like New York because it's it's so diverse. So, Brandon, what did you notice about being coming here in the United States as a music educator, maybe? There's just a different mindset about what the culture is. So Canada, it, it's a big country, but population-wise, we are very small. And so there's a lot of things in Canada that are meant to protect and sort of promote Canadian culture. So a lot of our, even our radio broadcasts, you have to do 50% Canadian content. Um, so Canadian performers, Canadian composers, something has to be Canadian in them. And then when you come to the United States, like it's just default American. And so it's it's a little bit of a, of a shift in what is sort of normalized that way. And that was a big sort of shift. And I've always made it a point to continue to play Canadian composers and to work with Canadian composers, um, even since I've moved here. But I would say in terms of mindset, that was sort of one of the bigger things that I've noticed. So how are you bringing your, let's say, your background into this organization? In terms of the composers on the database, I can tell you that when we first started, I added a lot of Canadian composers. <laughs> it was very Canadian heavy for a while till we started working on uh, adding more. <laughs> and then I also have a, not a great tech background, but I do work with a lot of electronics and performing. And so a lot of what I've done for the organization has to do with like building the website and learning to code a little bit so that the search functions, at least mostly and sort of attacking it from that end, which is something that a lot of classical musicians don't necessarily have. So now, Evan. Uh, originally, it was, I'm pretty sure, a text or a Facebook message from Susan <laughs> saying, hey, do you want to join us? Um, and of course, it was also at a time where, of course, we had a lot of time. So I was, of course, really enthusiastic about being a part of it. In terms of the work, I can say growing up, so my mom was a pianist actually as well. And my dad, although he passed, he was a vocalist. So that's how they, fit. they met. He needed a pianist. Um, the rest is history. And um, so growing up, I certainly was introduced to certain Black composers through the vocal repertoire. And like anybody, you know, we come to things with our own um, experiences. And however, as a pianist growing up, I certainly found myself being, for those that are only listening, I'm an African-American pianist. And so I found myself making it a point to prove as a Black pianist that I could play Bach, I could play the Mozart, I could play the Chopin etude as well as anybody else, because you don't see a lot of us in this space, you know? So, but because of that, I wasn't necessarily rejecting learning about uh, more black composers because it was still a part of my upbringing to a certain extent, but I certainly wasn't going out of my way to necessarily make it a part of how I programmed a part of what I was necessarily just at, at the f forefront of my curiosity a lot of the time. So I was really excited to put a lot of effort into just expanding my knowledge of not only black composers, but of course that's where it started. So how about you, Susan? Uh, when Annie first called me about this project and I just said, sure, yeah, we have so much time. We're in, we're in lockdown. Well, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll do this. Um, but in terms of doing this work, I actually, unlike what you asked about Brendan, about bringing his own background into this, I actually think through this project, I'm finding a part of my own identity because, so I'm an immigrant too. I grew up in China and learning to play the piano was 
you know, the, a lot of the Asian culture, they, they try to westernize things and learning to play piano was like such a classy, elegant thing, you know, and I, from day one until I graduated with my DMA, I've been playing Beethoven sonatas, Journey Etudes, you know, like what Evan said. So the more I got to work uh, with an ASAP, the more I found all these cool composers that, you know, I I almost feel like I was robbed of learning this in my primary education because there's um, so much great music out there that I just didn't know about. And I'm also a first-gen college student. So, and working on this project kind of made me, you know, realize this is also part of who I am. Like I need to celebrate my identity instead of always trying to hide being embarrassed about being a first-gen college student or being embarrassed about being an immigrant. So I guess working on ASAP has been really empowering in certain ways to, you know, it really resonates with me that I do acknowledge that I did have a lot of privileges growing up, but I also have, I share that marginalized areas with these composers that we're trying to promote and advocate for. So that's where I stand with this project. Thank you so much for sharing such a personal story. Then when it comes to the question of what is the true meaning of inclusion, right? So uh, I think that's the really the mission that you are on. And by using the diverse repertoire and putting that into database, but I think it's in the end, it's more than that. And you are just really there to help every artist, every student to find their own pathway, right? So before continuing this fun episode with the team of A Seat at the Piano, let's take a moment to hear from our valued sponsor, music app whose generous support helps us make this podcast possible. Have you ever wished for a smarter way to manage your sheet music? The PianoPod presents Music, the revolutionary sheet music app favored among over 400,000 musicians worldwide. Compatible with iPad, iPhone, and the web, Music lets you build a well-organized library of your pieces, all stored within a sleek and user-friendly interface. But that's not all. Experience the power of its smart AI, crafted to assist pianists of all levels in their daily practice. Whether you are a solo artist or part of a group, Music's collaborative tools and seamless access to IMSLP scores and sheet music purchases will revolutionize your musical journey. Get a one-month free trial using the code PIANOPOD23 exclusively for the PIANOPOD listeners. Claim your free month with music today. How are you accomplishing your mission? So, um, you know, you have this beautiful website, but can you tell us a little bit in details? Maybe uh, I'm happy to share the uh, screen with my audience. So on the, the front page, I try to keep it updated so that if there's new composers added to our database or um, every once in a while we do a small sort of featured composer. Um, so right now it's Jessica Barbara Allenhammer, which was actually written by one of our summer interns, Katie Larson. And then during the year, I'll add those. We have our blog, uh, Thoughts and Conversations, which is has the featured composers. Um, I wrote a couple articles when we started adding piano concertos to our database in the spring and sort of goes through all of that. We'll have an upcoming series. Another one of our interns, Chan June, this summer wrote a series of articles, uh, sort of biographical composers based on composers whose Wikipedia articles or stubs are very, very small. And so we'll have that coming up probably starting at the end of September. And so we'll 
be doing that with the blog. Um, the <laughs> database is the main part of the website. And so on here, we have, um, I don't even remember, 20, 2,700, 2,800 pieces right now. And we have wow. 6,000 no. on our research list that we're working on adding. Um, so it will be, it will be over 6,000. And when you go to it, the default is just like a browse. So it's arranged reverse chronologically and you can go through, and then you can also sort by name and year level showing only living composers, showing only concerti. And then there's a search function that you can use to search for pieces that way. You can use different identifiers, nationalities. I will say all of the identifiers that you can search by for our database, for every living composer, we do get their permission to use those identifiers and everything is public information. So basically it has to be on their public bio on their own website for us to use it. For example, I have a couple of friends in the database who identify in various ways, but not professionally. And so like you wouldn't be able to find them that way. And so it's, it's sort of done like that. And then um, from the database, if you click on a composer, it takes you to a composer's page. And if you click on a composition title, it'll take you to a page that has links to recordings if they're publicly available, scores if we can find it. So this piece here doesn't have a recording, but it does have a score and you can contact, in this case, Carolyn, um, about purchasing the music for that. And so it's sort of set up to try and make it as, as convenient as possible for everyone. Wow, very, very detailed. It's great that you can search by level. You know, sometimes as a teacher, I really don't know where to start. So being able to search by level is very, very helpful. I also want to talk from the uh, provider's point of view. Let's say I have this extensive research on certain composers, uh, maybe a composers from Asia, for example, and they, I want to contribute. Is that possible? Yeah. So we have a submit page where you can basically submit whatever you found. So we ha do have a lot of our composers are our own research, but we definitely have lots of people who submit composers or pieces, or even if they find a recording for a piece that we haven't found yet, they also will sometimes you can submit a recording and that way we can update our own database to start including more and more information because we're well aware, like we only know what we know and we don't even know what we don't know. And so we're always uh, welcoming anyone, you know, who knows pieces or composers or anything just to sort of contribute that way. And we have a, a big list of composers we're working on adding from these uh, sort of public submissions. You can also find more information about, we have suggestions for how to program this music in like a thoughtful way. Uh, where can I find that? So that's under a database. Sorry, I'm forgetting how I did this. Using the database. Mm -hmm. um, uh, okay. So we have sort of our own suggestions for, for programming. Mm -hmm. So that way you can sort of, we want to avoid um, tokenizing composers and we want to sort of help people present the music for its true worth and to sort of look at it that way. We also have links to other organizations whose missions we also just believe in. Um, and so if you're curious about finding other resources, these are 
databases and composer federations or performers and other sort of things that um, we have found and we are also adding to this. Sometimes we get suggestions for this page as well. And that's always exciting because then we get to sort of dive into to some other um, thoughts and how to sort of approach this idea. Also, if we oh, yeah. want to contribute, we can donate to your organization, right? Yes. 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 Okay. So we do accept donations. We are pretty much entirely donation run um, in terms of funding for paying for the website and everything mm -hmm. like that. You mentioned that in the, uh, the tab, thoughts and conversations, it's basically the blog page, right? So who is contributing the content for the blog? We have, we're lucky enough to get summer interns from a couple different organizations. We have one from Lawrence University and one that's sponsored by the Jack Kent Cook Foundation. And so we've always asked our summer interns to write blogs about something that interests them. It could be about their experience or however they want to approach it. Annie has had students write uh, blogs for us and we do pay students for those. So we get to work with them and then they get to sort of explore something that's of interest or one of their research projects that sort of aligns with our mission. And sometimes we have had people just like solicit us and just ask us if they could write something and then we'll get in touch with them and, and sort of work through it that way. And so there's, it's pretty open about who is there and it's sort of just, you know, can we work together to figure out a way that's beneficial for everyone and offer something uh, of value that way. What's the qualification to be listed on your database? Like has to be living or has to be dead or a genre, you know, even like the dealing with contemporary music right now, the classical music sometimes goes a little edgy and then sort of having to have like a multidisciplinary compositions. And it's pretty, pretty open <laughs> <laughs> right now. It's, it is, we do try to find like published written out solo piano repertoire and concertis, but there are pieces on there that use electronics or extended techniques. And we just make a note of that in the database, like just to let people know that you do need this extra equipment for those pieces. Yeah, it doesn't have to be everyone. Uh, I don't remember the oldest composer in our database right now, but it's several centuries ago, all the way to people who are quite young. <laughs> <laughs> um, like makes me feel old how young they are. <laughs> uh, and so it's it's pretty open as long as they are you know sort of representative of of some sort of historically underrepresented group that way then it's it's pretty open wonderful yeah i saw that birth year was 1999 oh my goodness <laughs> i feel so old <laughs> oh i think our oldest composer i was just looking at her database i think it's elizabeth jacquet de la guerre who was born in 1665 Cool. Yeah. So you have really extensive uh, data there. Do you have any other way besides blogs to uh, reach out to more classical musicians and educators? Like, uh, for example, maybe creating a playlist? Because, you know, my podcast, actually, my podcast was born on the same, I think, at the, around the same time that your podcast. Uh, uh, organization was born so we share the same birthday right <laughs> so and then I actually well, last year I got so busy but I was monthly creating a, a playlist for listeners like you know to have a diverse repertoire list in my playlist so have you thought of any of these things or you are maybe already creating something like that 
Yeah, we're doing a little bit of that now. Um, additionally to the blogs, we have social media as well. And so through our social media platforms of Instagram and Facebook, we will celebrate composers' birthdays and then therefore also feature some of their works during those days in our posts. We also started creating not really playlists, but like our favorite top 10 kind of pieces each month. And they were typically themed. Um, so like for October of last year, I remember we did like spooky pieces <laughs> that were in our database or like wintry pieces in December, holiday pieces. But I love this idea of actually creating like a an actual playlist. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that and feature that as a blog. So thanks for the idea. Yeah, we can collaborate, you know, I can feature <laughs> your playlist on my, yeah, that would be nice. As a teacher, okay, I've been teaching for a long time. And, you know, we are so busy. So we tend to stick with the same good old pieces. You know what I mean? Like uh, in any level, because the, you get so comfortable with them and you are very familiar with them, whether that is uh, elementary pieces to uh, very advanced. So for those folks like myself, what's the, uh, your advice just to expand the horizon? Because we get, we get so caught up in our daily, day-to-day -day lives. And, uh, you know, as a teacher, you have to also do a lot of admin stuff. It's very hard for me sometimes to get out of that my comfort zone and do a lot of research on contemporary pieces. And that are, I mean, there are so many amazing contemporary pieces out there, I know, or unknown pieces, hidden gems, right? So what's your advice? Yeah, this is actually something that we speak to music teachers about all the time. Well, it's great that you acknowledge that um, there's this gap in your teaching. And I think it's not as easy as it sounds. You do have to, you know, just carve out some time to do your own research. But I would say start with ASAP resources. That's why we built our database. So one of the cool features about the search bar in our database on the website is that I think Brendan's going to work on refining that a little bit, but uh, you can search by uh, genres or, you know, uh, different types of pieces. If you're teaching, say, like a minuet, you can just type in minuet. So, um, so this kind of like delves into the area of repertoire substitution. You know, instead of teaching a Bach minuet, you can teach a minuet written by De La Guerre. So if you just type in the search bar minuet, ideally all of the pieces titled minuet should pop up in the database. So yeah, this is something, I mean, I think we all struggle with. We, this is like a presentation we gave two years ago, you know, like we all love what is familiar. It's really easy to just go for the, the the pieces that you've already played and you've already taught so many times. But just know that there's so much more cool repertoire out there that we're missing out on. But yeah, looking out for resources like ASAP or for other, I guess, disciplines, non-pianists, I guess, you know, like all the database that Annie mentioned earlier, just keep an eye out for those. But I think to begin with, you know, if you have the desire to look for these kind of pieces, um, if the desire is there, then I think uh, you just you, you kind of you do have to go out and look for these pieces on your own. So part of our mission is to make this widely available. And this is why we're doing podcasts like this, interviews, um, creating that online course, advocating on social media to 
just spread the word. So, yeah, Evan? Well, I was just going to say, it really, it just starts with one piece, right? You know, like, it can be so overwhelming. And what, you know, is actually nice about that is that proves that there's so much music out there. there. The excuse that I don't like any of it cannot apply, right, at this point. There's there's bound to be something that you like enough that you're going to want to teach and learn yourself. A, a very specific thing that came to mind, because there's so much out there, you know, we have, like, the charity exercises, the hand and exercises, but there's also a woman, French composer, Hélène de Montreuil, who has, like, the most extensive package of etudes, exercises, like, short pieces. So, like, if you want to think about a huge set of things that are geared toward a specific sort of technique or something, I would start there, maybe. Yeah, there's plenty. You'll find something. Yeah, that's a wonderful problem being a piano pianist and piano teacher, right? Like, it never ends. Like, <laughs> we have too many pieces. Yes, we have to live totally. Two, yeah, two, three lives to be able to accomplish that dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that teachers, experienced teachers, all teachers will do is that they go towards anthologies because everything is in one book. It's very easy. You flip a page, you look for another piece. And one of our future projects that we're going to be working on is creating anthologies of the works that are in our database. But that's not stopping you also from kind of creating your own anthology. Like I've kind of been doing that on my own of just like creating these like booklets of pieces that I like. Um, you know, like I have my standards of teaching certain technique and now I'm building up another set of list of pieces that also do the same, but just within our database. So, you know, it's just kind of creating your own resources and also by creating it, then you have so much more ownership of it and you feel like you really know it. So I think like it's it's just kind of piquing your curiosity and like if I love that Evan says like just start with one thing because usually if you start with one thing like you will find other things too. That concludes the first half of this fun episode of The Piano Pod with the team of A Seat at the Piano. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcasting platform. Don't forget to follow The Piano Pod on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn. The links are listed in the description. Tune in next Tuesday, September 26th at 8pm to hear the rest of the interview with the team of A Seat at the Piano.